Welcome, everyone, to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I'm your host, Paul Niefer, and today I'm actually joined by John Phipps, and uh, he's uh, well known as uh, being a part of the U.S. Farm Report for many years. But, uh, John, how are things going? Uh, Really pretty good. It's one of those winters where you just make sure you have a jacket on. But uh, we've been lucky uh, about the Missouri Iowa line south, that that latitude really hasn't had a terrible winter. Meanwhile, the East Coast, we have family there, and Chicago and Iowa, and especially Minnesota, uh, it's been a struggle. So it's been kind of boring here. <laughs> well, but sometimes boring is good, John. Uh, I mean, I can do boring. I can do that. Yeah, especially in the wintertime. So, uh, you know, I was telling you offline and in, in our area, we had uh, about almost two feet of snow hit us uh, during December. And then I was getting ready to fly out on my three week trip. And there was about a oh, foot and a half, two feet of snow on our pasture. And the wind came through at about 60 miles an hour and, and uh, basically put two to five foot drifts in our 500 foot driveway and it took me three hours to get out of there but luckily i made my plane flight so uh, uh but right now we have essentially no snow on the ground uh, we, you know it warmed up to about 50 degrees and there goes the snow yeah well let's go ahead and start with a just a brief history of of your career background and then we'll talk about your farm which probably will be tied in with that but uh, let's go ahead and just uh, get started on 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 your career Okay, well, fine. I I graduated with a chemical engineering degree from well, what's now Rose Holman Institute of Technology, 51 years ago. I'm still struggling with this. We had to move our 50th class reunion to the to last year, which would be 51. But I graduated in the class of 70, and then uh, that's back when young men had their futures uh, determined by a ping pong ball in a large glass de- <laughs> uh, bowl. And I decided uh, that I would probably be, and it turned out to be the right a- uh, answer, be more use if I joined the Nuclear Power Officer Canada program. And so I spent five years in the Navy on a submarine out of Charleston, South Carolina. Then I came back to the farm in 75, and it gradually grew the farm from 600 to about 2,000 acres. And then, uh, to my incredible shock, um, and I wrote about this in Top Producer, of my eldest son, we have two sons, Jan and I, and my oldest son, after a 10-year career in mining, just one Thanksgiving said, you know, we're thinking about coming back to the farm. And I'm going, say what? And, you know, I that was the last thing I expected. He had been very, he'd been successful in his work and, uh, but he didn't like them moving around and suddenly the, the farm didn't look that bad. So he came back in 2008, not great timing, but nonetheless, uh, he's, and now last year I filed my last schedule F. It's been a, an emotional year for me. So I'm not farming. Then, uh, in 1994, I just lobbed, uh, well, I, sent in an unsolicited manuscript to uh, Karen Freiberg, who was the managing editor of Farm Journal. And uh, three months later, I thought, okay, well, that didn't work. I just (laughs) on my writing, but everything worked slow back then. Three months later, I got a check and she said, you got any more. And so that started my writing. And I then uh, by the next year, I was doing the back page of Top Producer and this continues well continues to today i'm almost 30 years now with uh, with writing I, i'm trying to outlive jerry gulkey that's my goal <laughs> in life you know i, I want to go to his funeral and say something deeply moving but uh and he uh, trust me we've talked about it. he wants to too uh wants to the vert reverse so we're we're trying to hang in there in 2005 uh farm journal bought us farm report and they had assumed, I think, that the the, the host Max Armstrong and and uh, Orion Samuelson would come with it, but because they were moving the production to South Bend instead of Chicago, and I I don't really know all the reasons, but at any rate, in August 
Brian Conradi from uh, the organization came came down and uh, talked to me, and I I had been doing some work on a meeting a meeting marketplace, which Al Pell hosted every week up at the Board of Trade, and I'd been up there to be kind of a light comic relief, and then he uh, Brian came down and asked me, he said, oh, "This is on." August in August, he said, uh, "Would you be interested in hosting U.S. Farm Report?" And then, uh, you know, it, and I said, "When would we start?" He said, "Next month." And <laughs> so, with that preparation and uh, and my background, so I took over the host. And the I, I, the poor viewers, those first few years are pretty rocky. And then that continued until fourteen uh, twenty fourteen. When Tyne showed up and she was the national reporter and Brian and I both talked about this, said, we've got the wrong person in the wrong place. And I had been making a 207-mile commute uh, yeah. Thursday and Friday. And, you know, the, the fun had pretty much gone out of that. And I figure I had pushed the odds of not getting killed on I-65 about as far as they could go. So... We talked tying into taking over or being hosts, and now I get to work just like this from my uh, from my shop where I shoot yeah. John uh, John's World three minute segment there, and then uh, answer questions from the viewers. Which that's always that's always interesting, and I'm sure you appreciate that too. So that's that's where we are today. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting because my. Uh, career, if you want to call it, with top producer is, you know, I had started the blog farmcpatoday.com back in 2009. And I remember when I started it, I, I was thinking, well, if I get like 100 people to actually read it, you know, that's going to be pretty impressive in my mind. Or maybe maybe I could get up to a 1,000 people. And after about the first month, according to my statistics on, on, the, on the blog, I was like at 5,000 people, and then suddenly there's 10,000, 15,000. And after about, I think, about a year or so, uh, Jeannie Burnick, who at that time was the editor at Top oh, Producer, yeah. sort of reached out to me and said, hey, are you interested in doing an article for Top Producer? It wasn't a column. It was just an article. And so just like you, I sent in a couple articles, and then few months go by and Jeannie calls, hey, are you interested in doing a column? And I said, sure. So, you know, that started the Farm CPA column, which I think is now in the 11th year. So I'm way behind Jerry and you, but, uh, you know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm still uh, chugging along with the, with well, the Farm CPA still column. Got a, got a lot of years ahead of you. You know, Jerry and I are, uh, we can see the finish line from here. So, <laughs> but it, it it is interesting how that develops just unlooked for. And the beautiful part for me was that all these jobs, although being gone Thursday and Friday there for 11 years or nine years, I guess it was, uh, that we had to make some significant changes in our operation. When Aaron came back, it became a whole heck of a lot easier. Uh, well, yeah, it, but still we were able to blend two different careers together simply because, you know, you can write at anytime you want to yeah. or and or do this kind of work uh, and my tv work i do it when on sunday afternoons or whenever i have a chance and and yeah i'm really grateful i have appreciated uh, working with it i've uh, worn out i think 11 or 12 editors uh <laughs> in the process you mentioned Jeannie burning i'd actually forgotten about her but uh it was uh it's just been a wonderful experience and, and great people to work with yeah, and uh, you know, and of course, uh, Sarah Schaefer is now the the editor She's there. The and, yeah, Sarah and she, Schaefer, just yeah. I, irrepressible. I, I, I she's always in a good mood, and yep, you know, and generally reminds me where when my columns are due or overdue, yep. and yep. It, it's just she's a joy to work with. Yeah, she sends me the email, and she's like, "Hey, can you get this done by you know, maybe yeah. next Monday?" and of course, as soon as I get that, uh, you know, because these days the column is only three or four hundred words. I mean, it used to be more like yeah, what a is thousand the words. With white space, yeah, you know, yeah. I, my my columns are about half the length they were back in the day. And, and it's I, almost more difficult to do a three or four hundred word column than a thousand word column because 
now you have to shrink it and just get it into a little bit of sound bites. And that sometimes is a little bit more difficult than, than to do a, a more broad, broad based call. You do it. Do you do a different version for the web? That's what I started doing. Uh, I do, I write out my column and then, uh, sometimes I'll just hand it into her, let her find out, uh, separate the wheat from the chaff, but then I'll send her a print column and what, uh, we've been doing, I, what she's been doing rather, is saying if you'd like more details and they have one of those QR codes at the bottom and people can go online or a lot of people only read it online and they get, well, you can put in charts and graphs, stuff like that. Yeah. So it's, but you're right. The If you take a look at the column on the page, it's three columns and and two inches of white space all the way around it. Yeah, but but the nice thing about it too, on a couple of my columns lately, they've added in some really nice graphics. So it's, it's oh yeah, uh, you know, you can sort of hey, you get your point across with the graphics, and then if you want to read it, uh, we haven't done it where we could then go to an expanded one. Now, what we are talking about doing, especially with this podcast, is is sort of making it where uh, if she posts something on the uh, let's say on the magazine or on AgWeb. You know, like you say, it's got the QR code there, and then it'll just ping you right over to the podcast. So, uh, you know, that's right. sort of the the trends that we're, we'll be doing here in the future. Well, and I understand people want a three-minute read, and uh, that uh, it's just like my commentary. As a matter of fact, my commentaries, I just noticed, are when I write the script out, are just about the same length as a column, So, uh, which I, struck me as rather bizarre. But... <laughs> No, you can see that on TV. That's about as long as you can put a talking head up and even with uh, graphics uh, sprinkled in. So, but it is, if you'd look at other magazines, that's what the art people are telling us and the yep. feedback. Uh, yep. that's, uh, Jan writes for um, a Farm Bureau magazine uh, that goes to all their insurance customers and she actually has more uh readers than I do at Farm Journal because it goes to all the country companies, uh, insurance customers, and that's a lot of people. Uh, mostly yep. in Chicago, she writes a column. The same thing happened to her. She was turning out X number of words. I can't remember what. And all of a sudden they came in and said, we only need about 60% of that. <laughs> and what's really interesting from her perspective is, is she has an editor that will not allow any passive voice. I mean, right. none. No yeah. is or or would be or could none of that stuff. It all has to be action verbs. Yeah, yeah, no, and and I, uh, you know, I do a fair amount of technical writing too, and I have a good edit. I'm going to call him an editor. He's actually a, a colleague of mine, and he'll go through and he'll he make it more like I say non-passive, and and he's always worried that I'm going to get upset, and I'm like, I don't care. I mean, you know, whatever yeah. you think is works best. I, I, yeah, that's the one thing I, I have found with with me is, you know, if, if you think this is going to work better, I am fine with that, and and if I disagree, I'll let you know, but it happens about once every 20 times, so I'm, I'm not too worried about it. So Yeah, unless they fool around with some point you're trying to make, What's the, who cares? And then they, goodness knows that Sarah and my other editors have a better idea of what, uh, how to express something than I do. Yep, exactly. And, uh, and of course, uh, mine, mine are a little bit, can be a little bit more technical, uh, right. but, but, you know, the, the, what, what I've found that I can do sometimes, I think most of the time, but sometimes is take something fairly technical and I won't say dumb it down, but make it so it's understandable for for the average reader out there. So, because uh, uh, I've I've been in some CPA classes where the guy talking, and you know, I'm a CPA for 40 years now, and I'm like, I didn't understand a word you said. So I I, I try right. to make it that way. Well, you have to be careful. You lapse into jargon that uh, other people outside the profession that aren't all that familiar with. And, and, and while it works great if you're talking to a colleague, it uh, it doesn't work well. And it is, you know, that it's a shame that, that we don't have a better phrase for uh, dumbing down, but that's exactly uh, what, you know, there are 
topics that I've been writing about, uh, the drop in the fertility rate, uh, the, the problem with uh, interpreting data from, well, from anything, and they're, they border on the, the engineering side of me. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, and I, I like it, and I, I talk to other buddies of mine that about it, but even then, you have to be, you have to make an effort to communicate with all kinds of people, and yep. uh, and you don't. Uh, what finally dawned on me: you don't impress anybody by being able to use acronyms and jargon and uh, modes of speech that are inside jokes, more or less. Yeah, I was uh, I was just writing a check for my share of the fertilizer for my crop share oh, out here. Oh, baby. Yeah, well, I was and I was looking at the price and I was like, oh, 50 cents, you know, and then a dawned to me, you know, that's a thousand bucks a ton for, you know, for my <laughs> ammonia there. And I'm, I'm just curious, are you still seeing a, 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 a rise in price in your area or is it starting to maybe come down a little bit? I've heard, you know, through the grapevine or reading that maybe it is starting to come down. But uh, what are you seeing in your area? Well, Aaron would be better able to do this. Like I said, I I no longer pay attention as much attention to the markets or uh, input prices. But last fall, uh, well, two two uh, two falls ago, uh, Aaron, we had never tried fall anhydrous, and he and the dealer are are, are actually uh, social friends. Then they have kids in school together. And our fertilizer dealer came to us and said, look, uh, we think fertilizer is going to come up significantly. And so we put it on and paid $420 for it to be <laughs> applied. Okay. And we thought, man, that's, that's pretty stiff. Within, I don't know, well, the following spring, it was 770 Yeah. And, uh, last fall, we got, I think it was somewhere in the upper 700 stuff. And he did the same thing. He said, said we really... You need to get started. And really, within two weeks after we were the, one of the first ones that we uh, plant early beans, so we had open ground. And we maybe we were crowding the temperature uh, situation, but uh, he wanted to get his rigs out and tested. Uh, we have it all applied now. It's just Aaron took a look at it. He said for eight bucks or 10 bucks, whatever it is, an acre, he had the time on the tractor. Yeah. And Aaron, coming from the, mi the mining industry, is really big on safety uh yeah. just i he, i think he when he wakes up in the morning he puts on his uh, protective shoes and ear protection and a hard hat and then gets dressed but they you know that they, they drill it into you so he said this is a something that essentially has a lot of things that can go wrong and people can get hurt and we know yeah. friends who struggled with it so we got a last fall got our anhydrous put on and it was upper 700s. <laughs> and then at one point this spring or the winter, I guess, uh, this winter we're talking about, uh, Aaron just was calling up ordering something else, oh, worried about chemicals, especially Roundup. Yep. And he said, uh, "What? Well, by the way, what's anhydrous? And he said, well, it's right now it's at 1,400. Yep, yep. And, yeah, so. uh, <laughs> I, I think it has backed off a little bit, but it's still up around 12. Uh I think, uh, and the problem, you know, we're always looking ahead. You run the budget, and Aaron's working on the cash flow and the budget for next year. Well, what what kind of number do you put in there? And it's interesting. Um, we talked to uh, our our dealer uh, about guys putting on P and K because I I wrote about that. I don't I don't think that's happening. And I had a couple of agronomists who wrote back in. From that article on top producer saying, yeah, uh, guys are taking a look at their nitrogen bill and uh, saying, you know, we're going to have to take a pass on P and K this yeah. year. Yeah. And they've said that for a couple of years. So I, I got to looking at how long does it take to suck the life out of a piece of ground? And around here, I, I'm not sure. We've got some operators that I know. Well, you know, we're our fields are right next to them, and uh, we're drive by it. They're close to our house, and these guys haven't put anything on in oh ten years. Yeah. And, yeah. But it, and it turns out when I looked into it and talked to uh, you know the agronomists about the whole thing, said it's really hard to build it up. But what 
uh, you know, we have never really talked about is that it comes down just about a slow, but it's like going the old joke from Hemingway about going bankrupt. It's gradually at first, and then all of a sudden, you know, once you deplete, it's, it just falls it, off the table yeah. on your yield. And it's also, you have to just hose the stuff on to uh, get it back up to speed. But yeah, Ken I, Perry, I, I, I talked to him about this. And he said, we're getting more farms turned over, new farms for his service, taking care of it. And he says a good 50, 60 percent of them are just uh, what he called trashed. Uh, I refer to the term as mining. And it he had uh, he's got a lot of farms with pHs under five. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. And uh, uh, P tests uh, in single digits. Mm. Yeah. Well, that, you know, that's is, I, I, I asked him, I, uh, but that never comes up at a land sale. Nobody said uh, the real estate guy said, no, uh, the soil fertility is not a big deal. Yields aren't a big deal either. It's just where the stuff's located. But man, you pick, you take over one of those pieces of property. You better add about a couple thousand to what you're paying for it because that's what it's going to take to get them up to speed. Yeah. You know, and, and that's interesting because being a CPA, one of the deductions that we can take on farmland, especially in the Midwest, if it had a lot of manure on it, is what we call excess fertility. Well, now you're talking about, you know, unexcess fertility or whatever you want to call it. So that's uh, that's a completely different. Uh, um, that's not a deduction. That's a well, it's a deduction out of your pocketbook because you're not going to get the yields that you want and you're going to have to put a bunch of P and K on. Yeah. Yeah, and I, lime and so on. So yeah. yeah, that the lime hasn't gotten too bad, but P and K, give me a break. It's the same story. Yeah, yeah, percentage increase. And you, you're talking about your son being safety conscious. You know, I I remember growing up on on the farm here in Washington State, and my dad would be out spraying whatever it was. Um, yeah. you know, I don't know if it was 24D or Banville or whatever it was back then. And he would come into the house, and he would be from the top of his head to his shoes, he would be yellow. I mean, yep. it would just be, and there was no protective goggles, no protective, uh, you know, gear at all. And, and uh, you know, and I'm glad that those days to some degree are gone. And although so, he lived, you know, a long life, but uh, he, he might've lived a little bit longer uh, if he hadn't have been out there spraying that stuff. What, when I was uh, a young man, they had just introduced uh, a herbicide and it was called Ramrod. Uh, and it came in round little cylindrical, not little, uh, 50 pound cylindrical cardboard tubes that uh, you would dump in and apply with the fertilizer and a band across the back. Yeah, I don't know how well it worked, but this is really nasty stuff. I just remember dad said, don't, you know, get upwind of it. But he let, uh, I said, I thought the, the gardens were really cool. So, he he saved them for me, and I used to build stuff with them. And I'm and I look back on that. So I if anything goes wrong with me, I blame it on that. Uh, <laughs> and so when I if I start edging into senility, which Jan has pointed out from time to time recently, uh, I can say, well, it's because of the ramrod that, that I had to, uh, that I breathed back then. But it is. We take a look at our past and how we did things. And, uh, and the materials we were working with and the casual nature of it, uh, I wouldn't begin to let my grandchildren uh, get anywhere close to that. Well, we we don't. Right? And we yeah. did when they were small and they just they can't even get into where the machinery is. We it one thing that troubles both Aaron and I is that we're the only profession that continues to. Uh, kill children on the job and at yeah. work. You know, no other industry uh, allows yeah. children to be uh, where we are. And that it, it also that's one reason I'm a little bit unsettled when you see those cute pictures of a of a nine year old. This, folks, I just this just is not a great idea uh, for, uh, for a number of reasons. And people say, well, this is how you teach them the work ethic. And you know. Hey. Paul, I think the best way to learn to work ethic is do something you hate, not yeah. do something you love. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I detasseled corn. I st it still just makes my skin crawl to think about it by hand, you know, on foot, and out there in the heat and the humidity. And oh. 
there there's there's some i think character building that goes on <laughs> well mine, um, mine was by god i'm getting up i'm getting a college education because i'm never going to do this again <laughs> <laughs> well i remember uh when i do a lot of my seminars i have a, a photo a slide that my dad had uh he's on the combine and it's probably 1962 or so i'm a couple years old because i was born in 1960 and you, you look at the combine you know there's no cab there's one right. little thin bar that's around the area and i'm just standing right the there pool. looking right down and snapping rolls with that that's all he's got yeah it's it's just uh, and now of course you know you got so much more safety apparatus uh, also if you stand up in the combine now the engine shuts off and uh, and, and my dad actually flipped a, a 453, International 453 combine. It was brand new. It was like two days old. And back then, you stood up when you drove half the time. And so he's standing up and he's going up a 35, 40% slope, not super yeah. steep, but steep enough. And, um, and suddenly, uh, we found out later on, the transmission gear somehow just sort of broke. It just fell apart. So he's going up the hill. Suddenly, he's going backwards. And your natural instinct on hillsides, if you, something like that happens, you want to turn it into the hillside because that's, you know, you're going right. to stop the, the combine from rolling or from going too fast. Well, he turned it in the hillside, but he turned it in too fast. And so it flips him over. Now he had a cab. And I think what prevented him from getting killed was two or three things. A, he was only about five foot six and about 140 pounds. So that, that definitely helped. Yeah. And he had about a three-quarter, maybe a little bit more than three-quarter full of dry peas. That was a, a pea field that we were harvesting. And so right. when it flipped over, I think that peas prevented the combine from collapsing all the way down. At least that's yeah, you got uh, mound of stuff there. Yeah. But but you know, the the negative, if if you want to call it that, is th there was a a um a throttle lever on that combine that stuck up about four or five inches out of the console there, and it was about you know, three quarters wide and a quarter inch of steel, and it went right through his thigh. So he's ah. pinned inside the combine upside down. You know, the EMTs finally show up there and they're like, how do we get, and his name was Otto, how do we get Otto out of this combine? And because we can't torch it out, you know, that's going to burn up his leg. They can't get under there. So they finally hand to hand a hacksaw to my dad and he had to hacksaw himself out, which he eventually did. So, uh, but Holy tough little, tough little German, German farmer. I mean, the, those are the realities of being a farmer. Well, he said hacksaw. I, I said, wait a minute. He didn't cut his leg off. You know, I, no, 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 he cut the, he I, cut I, the I, throttle. I a, little, a little nervous when you saw where this story yeah. was going yeah. there, but yeah. I, I, all of us in this profession, I suppose everybody, but all of us can look back and say, I, I should have, I should be dead. Yeah. Uh, I've done things on top of grain bins. I've done things when I'm, when I was rewiring stuff and uh, I just, I, it's just a miracle that I'm here today. Yeah. yeah. One of my favorite sayings is cat cats have nine lives. Farm boys have 99 lives, and I've used 98 of them. So yeah. you know, that's that, that's one of my favorites. Oh yeah, because I I remember one time my my brother and I, because my brother's only 10 months to the day younger than me, and we were going to dig a tunnel to China. You know, that's back when, <laughs> like when we're like eight or eight or nine years old, and so we're digging this tunnel to China, and I happened to be in the tunnel at the time. And the thing collapsed on me. I mean, I have probably 200 pounds of dirt on top of me. And the only reason I'm still alive is my brother pulled me out. Otherwise, you know, I'd be dead. So, uh, you know, j just the things that we do as farm boys. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think, John, we're going to go ahead and take a quick uh, break for a sponsor message. And then we'll come back and continue the conversation. Great. Get timely updates about taxation, accounting, succession planning, and other issues that are unique to farmers and agribusiness processors. Find out about major agribusiness events and how to comply with new laws that affect your business. Subscribe to Farm CPA at blogs.claconnect.com forward slash agribusiness and experience the CLA promise. blogs.claconnect.com forward slash agribusiness.
Welcome back, everyone, to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I'm Paul Neefer, your host, and we're rejoining our conversation uh, with John Phipps. And actually, this is sort of a, a fun conversation for me, John. You know, normally I'm talking with with just farmers and asking about their operation. Now we actually get to go into the nuts and bolts of uh, of uh, how. Uh, you know, U.S. Farm Report works and how top producer works and so on. So this is sort of fun for me. Well, it, it, it's just, if it weren't for Tyne Morgan, the the host, uh, I don't have a whole lot of contact. And I've kind of, you know, I'm out here by myself. I'm not, and it's not like we have uh, offices with everybody piled into it anyway. Media is, is just a totally dispersed industry. And she's out in Kansas City, but about once a week or so, she'll call up give me all the, uh, you know, the company gossip, uh, the who's doing what and <laughs> changing jobs. And if it wasn't for that, I, I would, I would really be out here in left field. So I, I appreciate that. And it, it, it has been a great organization to work for, uh, and with and the people, but, uh, I don't, I don't know half the people or anything about what's going on. I just send my stuff in. <laughs> Yep. No, you know, I'm sort of the same way. You know, if I need to get uh, find out what's going on, you know, I'll talk to Sarah or like you say, Tyne. Tyne uh, definitely will fill me in. So uh, I, I guess one question I'd have for you, do you remember any unique segments on U.S. Farm Report? Anything that stuck out to you that was sort of interesting or out of left field? I'm just curious if you remember anything like that. Well, uh, when I was host, we... Uh, had a number of, uh, of unique shows. One of we used to be uh, for the market segment, which Al Pell did. He would come in and, and do the market segment. And I would just introduce him. They would have two or three of the analysts show up. And one day, I can't remember whether it's weather or what, but Al called and and couldn't come in. And I had once or twice before run the roundtables and. And so that wasn't a big panic. And then because of weather, I'm thinking an ice storm or something. Uh, many of the analysts that we used were um, from uh, Chicago, and those guys couldn't get there. Yeah. And then nobody could get there. And, and so Brian came in, and we had, uh, we had a, a news reporter, and I'm senior moment here. I can't think. She was a wonderful young woman. And so she interviewed me on the markets. That was just talk about uh, the blind leading the blind. <laughs> and it was uh, an experience I didn't want to repeat. But the other the other uh, time was I got stuck in the airport trying to uh, get there on a Thursday when we taped. Uh, or Friday when we taped and got in finally, uh, but the airplane didn't have my luggage. So Ooh. Brian Conradie, our executive producer, went home and got a suit about two sizes bigger than <laughs> I than me. And uh, I was wearing a white shirt because I was coming from a speech. And so at least I had a white shirt on. And it, what I, I, but I still remember feeling like I was standing there in my older brother's clothes uh, back in the day. Yeah. I, I remember at my son's wedding. So I've only had one son get married. I got another one getting married here this year, but, uh, so we fly down to LA area. The wedding was going to be in Pasadena and, um, I bring a suit and we get to the hotel and I'm looking yeah. for my suit and I have the jacket, but I can't find the pants. Uh -huh. And so, oh, I must have left the pants home. So uh, uh, the actually sort of the uncle of the bride had a suit that he loaned to me. Now, let's just say the pants were maybe a little tight, just just a little <laughs> tight. Um, you know, not saying it was that tight, but it was a little tighter than normal. So I'm I'm like struggling and I and, you know, we get through the wedding and and I, I go home and I'm unpacking the suitcase Turns out I had rolled up the pants and stuck it in a little pocket and I couldn't oh, yeah. find it. So, you know, just the things that happen when you when you're on the road. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't miss that. Uh, it is interesting. I think meetings are well, uh, you would know better than me. Meetings are starting back up, but they're still 
uh, at least in my area, we have a very low vaccination rate relative to uh, many people. And uh, from church all the way to, uh, you name it, uh, the bingo games, attendance is still pretty slim because yep. uh, we've had uh, quite a few people not merely contract but die and yep. you know, yep. people that had a lot of friends. And it's just, you, you just think nothing, you know, it's not worth it. And meanwhile, the school, you have, uh, my grandson, John, who's a senior, said, yeah, at any given day at school, you have a different group of people because the other ones are in quarantine. Yep, yep, yeah. Well, and we have an office here uh, in Tri-Cities, Washington, which is Kennewick, Pasco, uh, Richland. And about a week ago, you know, COVID just went through the office. I would say more than half of them yep. have had COVID. Now, luckily so far, nobody's really had a, a bad bout with it, but uh, uh, it's definitely gone through the office. So, uh, um, and then, uh, you know, meetings, it's like top producer last year that was in Nashville. You know, I was headed out there to speak there. I was, I stopped off in Kansas City to meet with some clients in our St. Joe office. And I'm trying to get to Kansas City and the ice storm hits. And, and <laughs> yeah, I was even looking at driving. And Sarah said, you're an idiot to drive. Of course, you know, my wife always tells me I'm an idiot anyway. So I'm used to hearing those words. But uh, uh, when it comes to, to driving, because, you know, I just got home from a 21 day trip and I just do a carry on. You know, I'm I'm uh, although I had uh, 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 laundry facilities along the way, so it was not that big of a deal. So now on. U.S. Farm Report is normally taped up to, up at South Bend, and I've been there several times. Of course, now a lot of the taping not is done. Not anymore. Yeah, it's done in Lenexa, isn't it, over in Kansas City area? Well, you know, we uh, do everything on site for the given stories, and but the ins and outs, as we call them, uh, when Tyne introduces it, when she does the news, uh, is in uh, Kansas City, the suburb there, Lenexa. Yeah. Uh, I do mine, of course, here on the farm, and we I send stuff in on at least by Thursday, and and it's put together in South Bend. Yeah. This this is a lot like many things work in uh, in business today. My my son, uh, younger son, is in the telecommunications business, has been for some time, and he started a new job with uh, Recovery Centers of America. And it, they're, it's like the cancer centers on, this is uh, to help people with addiction problems. Mm -hmm. and they, his job was to get them all in together in an app, uh, both for the staff and all the clients, uh, that, so that any client could reach um, a qualified counselor who would have all his information uh, uh, instantly available at any time within, I think, 10 seconds. You know, once the oh. phone rang, 10 seconds, he's talking to a real counselor. Now, this, but you, know, you take a look at it, they've got resources scattered across the country. Yep. And these guys are on call, and, you know, they take a shift and uh, they have their own clients there at the local clinic. Uh, but they also, when somebody calls in, said, you know, I'm really struggling here and it's two o'clock in the morning. That guy's got somebody that answers the phone who knows, who can take a look and scan what his last thing was and get his background and be talking to him uh, just virtually, instantly. This, this becomes something we just expect to yep. be able to yep. or seven either send an email to Amazon and get a new power tool, not that I do that all the time, but, <laughs> or be able to get a hold of people. And I, it's something that is going to, it will trickle down. Um, well, it is uh, in, a lot, in a way with farming, uh, ordering parts. Uh, I, I look for the bigger companies to shift more and more stuff. Insurance now is done all online. Uh, yep. It makes you wonder about the service reps and and the salesmen, uh, and it it becomes a little bit problematic for their future. Yeah, yeah, no, and it, everything's evolving. And I, and I know that uh, I think Wall Street Journal just had an article either yesterday or or last night. Of course, I I consume the Wall Street Journal online. I don't. Uh, I right. might look at a 
uh, Wall Street Journal newspaper three times a year when I'm at a hotel or something, but typically mm -hmm. it's online. And they were talking about the fact that you know, with the pandemic and people working from home, it's this expectation by your bosses or by your colleagues that you're always on, you know, that, uh, hey, I can reach out to you at, uh, you know, at 6 a.m. on a Saturday and you're going to respond to me or why haven't you responded to me, you know, that type of thing. And so I, I think definitely there's been a little bit of a shift too far that way. We need to go back to the fact that, uh, hey, work is work, but our personal time is our personal time. I think I think that's happening. Jack uh, is vice president. He supervises a, 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 a very large team of technicians. For, one of them's in Washington. Uh, there's one in Tucson or something like that. And you know, people all over. And he's in, in the Philadelphia area. And they in now in order to hire somebody because it's so hard hard to find people. Yeah. And, you know, you can't uh, put an ad in the paper and have 100 people. You, you, the HR department works really, really hard just to come up with candidates. So consequently, the, one of the things that people are asking for uh, is it's not, you know, money is one thing, uh, but uh, it, it's not the overriding factor. They say, well, what, uh, sometimes you use the term, what's the work-life balance yeah. like? Yeah. But I, this reminded me, and Jack and I have talked about it, my son, uh, that, uh, and he's he's become very careful. He he talks to people when they're on their shift or, or when he needs to get a hold of his team members. He you know he keeps track, and it has to be an emergency uh, for him to interrupt. And he does not expect them to answer emails at, at weird times because that's part of what they negotiated when yep. they came in. So it it is, I think shifting back and i think uh that's yeah i i appreciate your point about that that everybody's expecting them beyond 24 7. it's also something that farmers really should take a, 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 a i think have a deeper appreciation for because we have the two things that that uh, most people working in professions um or you know professional level jobs that they has always come uh, have always come up at the list top of the list of the things they don't like. The first is commuting. You know, my mm -hmm. you know, my commute's a quarter of a mile, and you know, I I generally walk it. But uh, the second one was control of your time. And Aaron, uh, when John he'll be in college this year, but uh, last fall we could be right in the middle of cutting beans and at four o'clock he was at the cross-country meet yeah yep. uh yep. we don't i think we should give more credence to uh uh value to that when we talk about you know how we're maybe not compensated enough yep totally agree totally <laughs> agree i mean and and that's even in my profession you know i'm able to take time off when i need to and uh uh, and and believe me, I work enough hours anyway, so that's uh, that's okay. That's that. and and I think us baby boomers, you know, both of us are uh, what I would call baby boomers. We we sort of and we grew up on farms. You know, working long hours is not that big of a deal to us. Whereas our grandkids, I'm going to say more the grandkids or or our kids, uh, it's more important for them to you know have that work life balance. So uh, uh, I can definitely understand that. Well, and then the other thing is that we forget how much, what an advantage it is to have seasonal work. Uh, if you're on a grain farm, let's not kid ourselves. Uh, the old joke of what does the 4X4 mean on a pickup means four weeks in the spring and four weeks in the fall <laughs> and 44 weeks off in between. There, We do have right now, you know, January to February. Come on, give me a break. Now there are guys out there uh, hauling grain, but I have a sneaky suspicion that's to keep their hired man or to keep their employees yeah. uh, have something to do so that they can justify paying them the rest of the time. And I think this problem is going to be uh, more difficult for a lot of farmers to sit down and look. But said, really, I use this. I, I I need four employees for five weeks. Yeah. in the fall and uh, as we get bigger and bigger tractors uh, are in combines and you know i can harvest a lot faster so i need a lot of people right then i don't know what i'm going to do with those guys the rest yep. of the time 
and yeah. you can build the most uh, beautiful shop in the world, but you can only go over a machine so many times. And I, I, I Aaron's talked to him. We don't have any employees. So, well, uh, just uh, he and I and Jan and, uh, well, uh, we do have a, a friend of mine that uh, helped drive uh, trucks in the fall, which is yep. the, the big M. But the rest of the time, it's Aaron and I. And that, the, uh, the lumpiness of our labor demand is going to become a bigger and bigger problem because labor is get going to become more and more expensive. Yeah, yeah. To get somebody well, you would trust on one of those tractors, uh, they're going to want uh, a lot of money and benefits and full-time employment. Yeah. Well, it's just in our area because um, our state's got the highest, I think, maybe not anymore, but it's definitely – one of the highest minimum wage in the country at about $14 an hour because it's indexed to inflation. On the ag side, uh, because of the H2A you know, workers in our area and the, and the wage that they have, it's more like $18 per hour or higher than that. Oh yeah. You, you, you see signs now, if you wanna work at McDonald's, starting pay is 15 or $18 per hour. I mean, so, so uh, you know, the competition level for wages in our area is definitely going up. And I don't think that trend's gonna end, you know, because we are looking at what, 3% unemployment. Now I know part of it is people that aren't looking for jobs, but uh, um, you know, it, it's just, it's gonna get more and more difficult. Well, 90% of it, I just did a commentary on this. 90% of that loss of people in the workforce, the number, you know, we're talking about people who are got just stopped is our guys who retired, yep. who taking a look at their 401k and said, you know, we're doing better than we thought. And why do I want to go in and, and uh, catch COVID or uh, it's not any fun anymore. Yeah. Or yep. so guys in their late fifties early and lots in their sixties are Taking, if they can get a hold of their pension, they're out of there. Yep, so the ninety percent yep. of the loss of people in the workforce are guys retiring or um, some at the at the end. It's not uh, people in their prime twenty to forty five uh, working age. It's us, you know, people who take a look at the baby boomers, you guys like you and me, and say that that's what I want. You know, this yeah. guy, you know, you can barely tell he's doing anything, and uh, I'm ready for that. Plus, you know, it, it, a lot of them, uh, their savings, and and I think the, uh, the the immense amount of payments that got squirted into the economy, which yeah. probably did uh, uh, minimize the recessionary effect, but it also, a lot of it just got piled up. People really were doing okay because they weren't doing anything and they weren't spending it. Right. And once they sat there, they had, okay, you know, we've got an extra X thousand dollars sitting around we i could quit yeah. and do that or i could do a job that's a lot easier maybe pays less but i but i like or and so the labor crisis i think is just beginning we've always yeah. been able to solve it with immigration legal and illegal either way but uh with the fertility rate we just hit a record low fertility rate people millennials not only yep. are not having babies, 40% of uh, millennial women don't want, have right. no intention. Uh, yep. It just interferes with their life and their yep. career. Exactly. And, uh, so you take a look at uh, the resource we're going to run out of. It may not be fertilizer. It may be warm bodies. Yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. know whether the automation is going to do that. Uh, I just... I've, I've always thought we, you know, my entire career, we've been five years away from autonomous tractors. And uh, I, I think that will be determined by, uh, by the land. You know, it doesn't, I can't see an autonomous tractor in a 20 acre field, which we still have around here. I out in your country, I can see it. Yeah, I can yeah. see them. You get where you're talking about sections and sections of stuff together. Or if you're, or those guys in Brazil are the ones who are the are Ukraine. Yeah. Those are the guys who'll take advantage of autonomous tractors. But uh, around here, because uh, the biggest problem I think is putting it on the road. Yeah, no, uh, I, I, I would agree. Field to field, and if you're out in a 600 acre field, we have one 600 acre field we managed to put together. I could see that happening. You get it started and it motors on, and and 
go from there. But I'm I'm looking to see whether autonomous equipment will be able to help the labor shortage or not. And it may be something that works really well in some places and other places because the physical constraints, uh, it doesn't have a chance. Well, like you say, if you got a lot of little fields, uh, the just getting it from one field to the next, you're going to have yeah. to have a human being involved in that. Uh, unless it's sort of like Tesla or whatever, it's the auto steer uh, from field to field. I, I don't think I would trust that, at least not yet. Not, but, not uh, going down our gravel roads. Exactly. Well, John, we're getting close to the end of, of the podcast, and I have a feeling we'll probably, I'll reach out to you in maybe six months and we'll have another conversation. But uh, I always end with a couple questions. Uh, first question is, what keeps you up at night? Is there anything that you mull on or that you worry about uh, when you go to bed? Yeah, at, at, at my age, I'm 73, just turned 73. Uh, we just have so many people, friends and family uh, who are struggling with all kinds of problems, health problems, of course, at this age, that the economic problems that, or the concerns about the industry or even publishing They've really faded now. I I stay awake at night, uh, just concerned about people I care about. Yeah, yeah, no, good point. And then uh, the last question is, uh, what's your definition of success in farming? You know, it's kind of like uh, sustainability. Uh, I I just looked up. I think twelve or fifteen years ago, I wrote a article that I'm I'm the sixth generation Aaron's the seventh generation on our farm I said I think I think that makes I uh, qualifies us for sustainable mm-hmm. you know, yeah sustain, sustaining it means you, you it can keep going and so I uh, success and my this is from my father he said well a successful farmer is one that shows up every spring yeah and, okay and it, there is something to uh persistence being able to uh, simply maybe not have the highest yields or the best equipment or the bed or even do the best job. But if you find a way to persist, that yeah. is as close as I could have for a short discussion of what success means in agriculture. No, no, totally agree. Well, again, John, thank you very much. Uh, this well, has been good been, to talk uh, to you, Paul. This has been a great conversation for me and I hope for, for the listeners. And it, again, this is a, uh, the Farm CPA podcast. Uh, I'm Paul Nefer, the uh, presenter, and we're signing off.